Okay. Hi. Uh, this is Jamie Hood, and I am recording for Prol Sound. I'm not going to do a ton of introduction. I'm going to read um, one long poem by Sylvia Plath and one long poem by myself. And then I'm going to close with a poem by Anne Sexton. Um, Anne and Sylvia, I know, are considered very tacky in the poetry world to be your poetry godmothers or whatever, but I'm tacky and I love them. And both of these poems feel very resonant to me right now. I think particularly with Plath, um, she's imagined as the me, me, me of the confessional poets, particularly. <clears throat> but I think she's frequently forgotten about as like a poem, a poet of the apocalypse. Um, and so many of the late poems are obsessive about the dissolution of the self and a world that is devoid of meaning and is going up. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think about her in end, end times. <clears throat> so I'm going to read um, Burke Plage. And I'll just get started. This is the sea, then, this great abeyance, how the sun's poultice draws on my inflammation. Electrifyingly colored sherbets scooped from the frieze by pale girls travel the air in scorched hands. Why is it so quiet? What are they hiding? I have two legs. And I move smilingly. A sandy damper kills the vibrations. It stretches for miles. The shrunk voices waving and crutchless, half their old size. The lines of the eye, scalded by these bald surfaces, boomerang like anchored elastics, hurting the owner. Is it any wonder? He puts on dark glasses. Is it any wonder he affects a black cassock? Here he comes now, among the mackerel gatherers, who wall up their backs against him. They are handling the black and green lozenges like the parts of a body. The sea that crystallized these creeps away, many snaked with a long hiss of distress. This black boot has no mercy for anybody. Why should it? It is the hearse of a dead foot, the high, dead, toeless foot of this priest who plums the well of his book, the bent print bulging before him like scenery. Obscene bikinis hide in the dunes, breasts and hips a confectioner's sugar of little crystals, titillating the light while a green pool opens its eye, sick with what it has swallowed. Limbs, images, shrieks. Behind the concrete bunkers, two lovers unstick themselves 
a white sea crockery. What cupped sighs, what salt in the throat. And the onlooker, trembling, drawn like a long material through a still virulence and a weed, hairy as privates. On the balconies of the hotel, things are glittering. Things, things. Tubular steel wheelchairs, aluminum crutches, such salt sweetness. Why should I walk beyond the breakwater, spotty with barnacles? I am not a nurse, white and attendant. I am not a smile. These children are after something with hooks and cries and my heart too small to bandage their terrible faults. This is the side of a man, his red ribs, the nerves bursting like trees, and this is the surgeon, one mirrory eye, a facet of knowledge. On a striped mattress in one room, an old man is vanishing. There is no help in his weeping wife. Where are the eye stones, yellow and valuable, and the tongue, sapphire of ash? A wedding cake face and a paper frill. How superior he is now. It is like possessing a saint. The nurses in their wing caps are no longer so beautiful. They are browning, like touched gardenias. The bed is rolled from the wall. This is what it is to be complete. It is horrible. Is he wearing pajamas or an evening suit? Under the glued sheet from which his powdery beak rises so whitely, unbuffeted. They propped his jaw with a book until it stiffened and folded his hands that were shaking. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now the washed sheets fly in the sun. The pillowcases are sweetening. It is a blessing. It is a blessing. The long coffin of soap-colored oak. The curious bearers. And the raw date engraving itself in silver with marvelous calm. The gray sky lowers. The hills like a green sea run fold upon fold, far off concealing their hollows. The hollows in which rock the thoughts of the wife blunt practical boats full of dresses and hats and china and married daughters. In the parlor of the stone house, one curtain is flickering from the open window, flickering and pouring a pitiful candle. This is the tongue of the dead man. Remember, remember how far he is now. His actions around him like living room furniture, like a decor, as the pallors gather, the pallors of hands and neighborly faces, the elate pallors of flying iris. They are flying off into nothing. Remember us. The empty benches of memory look over stones, marble facades with blue veins and jelly glassfuls of daffodils. It is so beautiful up here. It is a stopping place. The unnatural fatness of these lime leaves, pollarded green balls, the trees march to church. 
The voice of the priest in thin air meets the corpse at the gate, addressing it while the hills roll the notes of the dead bell, a glitter of wheat and crude earth. What is the name of that color? Old blood of caked walls, the sun heals, old blood of limb stumps, burnt hearts, the widow with her black pocketbook and three daughters, necessary among the flowers, enfolds her face like fine linen, not to be spread again, while a sky, wormy, with put-by smiles, passes cloud after cloud, and the bride flowers expend a freshness, and the soul is a bride in a still place, and the groom is red and forgetful, he is featureless. Behind the glass of this car, the world purrs, shut off and gentle, and I am dark-suited and still a member of the party, gliding up in low gear behind the cart, and the priest is a vessel, a tarred fabric, sorry and dull, following the coffin on its flowery cart like a beautiful woman, a crest of breasts, eyelids, and lips storming the hilltop. Then, from the barred yard, the children smell the melt of shoe blacking, their faces turning wordless and slow, their eyes opening on a wonderful thing. Six round black hats, and the grass, and a lozenge of wood, and a naked mouth, red and awkward. For a minute, the sky pours into the hole like plasma. There is no hope. It is given up. I'm just going to take a little drink of water. Um, <clears throat> so for my... Uh, the middle poem, I'm going to read one of my own. And um, I think I've talked many times about how, on Twitter I mean, about how um, I dream very vividly about the apocalypse all the time. Um, usually more like disaster-oriented than pandemic. But, um, yeah... I don't know. I have these dreams constantly where I have to go out and save my loved ones and shit like that. So, um, this poem I wrote partly about that, partly through a breakup last year. Um, and it was published in Peach Mag in November, which was an honor and a delight. And I've actually never read it live. Um, okay. So... This one is called Each Night I Dream of Rising Waters and Each night I dream of rising waters and of another compulsion to swim the mute body out and all that endless. What dreck. Wading through the wrecked and waterlogged hot topics, stinking Abercrombies and Auntie Anne's of my youth. Jet black band t-shirts limp on the rippling surfaces of another dead totality. Oh, monochrome corpses. I tell you, I am binge-watching this future. I'm gorging myself on the UN climate report. I'm growing sick with it, being driven now, 
to speak my feminine and slicker tongues. An astrologist once informed me that in point of fact I am a kind of seer. Is it any wonder I cannot sleep alone? Is it any wonder I need the weight of a man to still all my reckless? Is it any wonder I am always looking for love, which is to say not love in itself, but in its function as a solidity of fleshliness? Oh, my lusty and tangible self. Oh, my Torian over-reliance on the comforts of all the beautiful meat of us. The Pythia at Delphi is required to abdicate all earthly pleasures. What a terrible seer I'd make, good only for being filled up by gods. Oh Lord, is this your mana leaking? Still, dream me as a more devotional woman than I. She lies on her back and alternates float and stroke, float and stroke and float as we all shall do. It is a gift to know when we should reap or else lay fallow. Also a blessing to not be trapped in shallow, stagnant waters all choleral. Dream self goes on against the tides, gathering her cherishments even as the relentless waves stir the whole big world. This damned cauldron of 24-hour news cycles administrative erasure of our lovely, loving bodies, and Bezos killing each and every one of us, just so as to plan Amazon's first HQ on Mars. Needless to say, we won't be on the flight. My anti-capitalist sentiment feels here like a usualness. I think if I am to have an audience, they are saying or thinking all this already, or else expecting me to. O Cassandra, in a sea of us seekers, us seers, but this is a kind of detour. Let me confess, this was supposed to be a love poem. This was supposed to be about how each time my ex-boyfriend entered me, he'd close his eyes and I would train mine to watch his expression transform. How I wanted to die in the bashfulness of his contented smirk. Oh, innocence. Oh, song of you. Oh, also. Oh, song of oh. Oh, 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 this experience. What purity in its pure and total presentness. Sex disaffiliated from shame for the first time. My body mine and also yours. Oh my God, I could write an ode to your teeth, darling. Did I ever tell you the gap between the front two, oh blessed tooths, nearly made me blurt, I love you. But I didn't say it, I mean. Of course I loved you. Love is not a logic. It is a feeling, and I love it, as I love all feelings, oh abundance of embarrassed sincerity. I love and despise everything in near equal measures and honor this for every feeling is right and is mine. Another detour. This was also, also supposed to be a breakup poem where fracture 
where torn. Perhaps my mistake, of course, thinking what had made him happy was me, and perhaps it was only the hug of something warm. Perhaps he too sought the solidity of material form, or else the anchor of a pretty face to come on. I know the colors that suit me. I called him Apollo, and for some time was not wrong. Two griefs I am trying to unlearn. One, you can't water a root-rotted plant back to life. And two, you can't fuck a man into loving you. I should say, I can't water anything dead to life. I can't fuck a man into loving me. Must refuse tendency to deny the individualness of failing. The feeling a plant and a man share as they neither of them wish to manage the intensity of my attention. The dilation of my pupils as I observe the bloom of them. I think how the sun must have especially loathed Icarus and the airlessness of his terrible desire. Still I fall in love too fast. Have fallen for nearly every man who ever held me. I can't be helped. I told you. Each night I dream of a globe of pools. The last woman to see the bluebells. Okay, one more little water break. <clears throat> Olive says hi to everyone. She's sitting on the bed with me. Um, <clears throat> so this last poem is Anne Sexton, who I wish was talked about more. I think in the last few years, um, there, there's been like a little more interest in her. Was it Era Matthews who had a, an entire section in her book that was addressed to Anne? I'm trying to remember. Um, I love Anne. Uh, Plath was my first like poet that I was obsessed with when I was, you know, a teenager. And Anne was, I think, who cemented the idea that we could write about sort of our longings, our desires, our bodies in such sort of sometimes pathetic ways and for that to still be beautiful. Um, she was obsessed with the body, which I love because I am as well. I mean, I guess we all are in some ways. And the poem I'm going to read is like deeply bodily. Um, I guess the last thing is I'm going to incorporate some stanzas that she didn't publish but would read aloud and some recordings that I've heard. She liked to improv, I think, a lot during her readings or like seemed to improv. She was very anxious, so probably she was just adding it in as if it was improv. I don't really know. So this is called The Operation. After the sweet promise, the summer's mild retreat from mother's cancer, the winter months of her death, 
I come to this white office, its sterile sheet, its hard tablet, its stirrups to hold my breath, while I, who must, allow the glove its oily rape. To hear the almost mighty doctor over me equate my ills with hers and decide to operate. It grew in her, as simply as a child would grow, as simply as she housed me once, fat and female. Always my most gentle house before that embryo of evil spread in her shelter and she grew frail. Frail, we say, remembering fear, that face we wear, in the room of the special smells of dying fear, where the snoring mouth gapes and is not dear. There was snow everywhere. Each day I grueled through its sloppy peak, its blue-struck days, my boots slapping into the hospital halls past the retinue of nurses at the desk to murmur in cahoots with hers outside her door to enter with the outside air stuck on my skin, to enter smelling her pride, her upkeep, and to lie, as all who love have lied. No reason to be afraid, my almost mighty doctor reasons. I nod, thinking that woman's dying must come in seasons, thinking that the bill must be paid, thinking that living is worth buying. I walk out, scuffing a raw leaf, kicking the clumps of dead straw that were this summer's lawn. Automatically, I get in my car, knowing the historic thief is loose in my house and must be set upon. Clean of the body's hair, I lie smooth from breast to leg. All that was special, all that was rare is common here. Fact. Death too is in the egg. Fact. The body is dumb. The body is meat. And tomorrow the OR. Only the summer was sweet. The rooms down the hall are calling all night long while the night outside sucks at the trees. I hear limbs falling and see yellow eyes flick in the rain. Wide-eyed and still whole, I turn in my bin like a shorn lamb. A nurse's flashlight blinds me to see who I am. The walls color in a wash of daylight until the room takes its objects into itself again. I smoke furtively and squash the butt and hide it with my watch and other effects. The halls bustle with legs. I smile at the nurse who smiles for the morning shift. Day is worse. Scheduled late, I cannot drink or eat, except for yellow pills and a jigger of water. I wait and think until she brings two mysterious needles. The skills she knows, she knows. Promising. Soon, 
you'll be out. But nothing is sure, no one. I wait in doubt. I wait like a kennel of dogs jumping against their fence. At ten she returns, laughs and catalogues my resistance to drugs. On the stretcher, citizen and boss of my own body still, I glide down the halls and rise in the iron cage toward silent science and pitfalls. The great green people stand over me. I roll on the table under a terrible sun, following their command to curl, head touching me if I am able. Next, I am hung up like a saddle and they begin. Pale as an angel, I float out over my own skin. I soar in hostile air over the pure women in, in labor, over the crowning heads of babies being born. I plunge down the back stair, calling mother at the dying door to rush back to my own skin, tied where it was torn. Its nerves pull like wires, snapping from the leg to the rib. Strangers, their faces rolling like hoops, require my arm. I am lifted into my aluminum crib. Skull flat, here in my harness, thick with shock, I call mother to help myself, call toe of frog, that woolly bat, that tongue of dog, call God help and all the rest. That child who killed her mother is walled into my groggy brain, is walled into my white womb, and is in trouble, and is in pain. My nurses, those starchy ghosts, hover over me for my lame hours and my lame days. The mechanics of the body pump for their tricks. I rest on their needles, am dosed and snoring amid the orange flowers in the eyes of visitors. I fall sometimes, smelling of menthol and blood, and do not mind at all. I grow accustomed to the secrets of pain. It's stone ear to the sheet. I hear my bones stamped from shadow, immodestly hiking out of stiff snow to air their sores. The flesh forgets its personal role. I do not meet my mother on her dying bed. Nor do I see my own upkeep. Nor do I hear a lie, if a lie is said. Four days from home, I lurk on my mechanical parapet with two pillows at my elbows, as soft as praying cushions. My knees work with the bed that runs on power. I grumble to forget the lie I ought to hear, but don't. God knows I thought I'd die. But here I am, recalling mother, the sound of her good morning, the odor of orange and jam. All's well, they say. They say I'm better. I lounge in frills or picturesque. I wear bunny pink slippers in the hall. I read a new book and shuffle past the desk to mail the author my first fan letter. Time now to pack this Humpty Dumpty back the frightened way she came and run along, Anne.
and run along now. My stomach laced up like a football for the game. That was that. Sorry, that was a little shakier. Olive was um, rolling around the bed, and then she decided that she needed to clean my right arm. Um, I hope you're all staying socially distanced and taking care of yourselves and getting through this. Stay healthy. Stay good.